Father, I just thank you for this message. I thank you that it's a message uh, that you prepared a long time ago to help us maneuver, and not just maneuver, but to actually sail on top of rough waters while we're here on this earth. I thank you that you didn't leave us to fend for ourselves, but you came and you infused our hearts with the truth, with your spirit that gives us comfort, and with your life that comes and fills us up in all circumstances. I thank you that you're going to fill each one of us um, with your life. And as we encounter the things in this world that try to come against us, we'll have a knowing in our heart. Just like that song this morning, there's honey in the rock. Everything that we need is in you. And we don't need to be afraid when we have you. Amen. So the title of today's message is Living in God's Judgment. And it's really important to know what God's judgment is. You know, when we think of the word judgment, it's one of those words that can cause problems. We've heard it a lot, and we know what it means, don't we? Before I even tell you what it means, you already have an idea formed in your mind that is going to try to form your ideas as I preach this message. But you're going to find that this message is going to tear down your ideas, carnal ideas of what judgment is, as we find out about God's judgment and how good God's judgment is and how permanent God's judgment is. So we have these filters in our brains that we pass our words through and we don't even realize it's going on. And it leaves us with ideas that were formed maybe a long time ago from the experiences we had even when we were children. So the, the definition of judgment is a decision, the function or the effect for or against, to distinguish, to decide mentally or judicially, to try, condemn, punish, to conclude, determine, esteem, call in question, sentence to, and I really like this last one, to think. Because we judge as easily as we think. In fact, usually as we think, the judgments automatically just start being formed. No effort on our part. But we often think of judgment as a negative thing, a bad perception. But it doesn't have to be that. And in fact, when it's God's judgment, it isn't that at all. And that's what we want to look at this morning. What does God say about things? It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what you say. All that really matters is what does God say? So there are a few questions that we should ask ourselves and let God show us the answers, each one of us for ourselves. Does my judging sometimes cause problems? Could I have a perverted bend in my thinking sometimes? Do I let negative judgments affect my actions? I watched over the last couple of days, because this message is really in my heart, um, I notice things more than usual. Wow, 
so many negative thoughts coming at me, so many negative things to make me think things that are not true, things to make this message harder to give, things to make me question, why would God have me do this? Those things just come at us. And many times we might not even realize it and how important it is to have God's judgment about us, about himself, about other people, and even all the circumstances that we encounter in our lives, to have those things cemented in our heart and to hear them as quickly as we can see, hear those negative things that try to come at us. The judgments that we make can be right and they can be wrong. So it's good to ask ourselves some questions. Am I open and comfortable considering that my judgments could be wrong? Do I have any resistance when I find my judgments disagree with what God says? Do I wanna put aside my judgments when I see I'm believing a lie? And you know, it's an amazing thing. When you believe something, your heart wants to hold on to it. That's just how our hearts operate. And so God has to come and persuade our hearts of what his judgment is. So is there a way out of this cycle of judgment? When I encounter a situation in my heart and mind, immediately a judgment comes to me, good or bad. That's what the carnal mind does. It jumps to conclusions about God, about people, and about our circumstances. There's only one way to be free from that, and that's to talk with God. Hear his word. Hear what he says about whatever it is you're encountering. <clears throat> John 7, 24, Jesus says, Judge not according to the appearance. Whoa. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Don't judge by what your eyes see. Well, that's usually what we use to judge, isn't it? Something comes at us and we see it with our eyes and we immediately start making judgments. God says that's not a smart way or the correct way to make judgments. He said, but judge righteous judgment. Mm. That means his judgment. Our carnal minds tend to judge by what we see, but God judges fair and impartial and just. God has already judged. Isn't that good to know? He has already done it. There is already a judgment in place and it's solid. We don't have to be trying to figure out anything about anything. The judgments have already been made. The Bible isn't asking us to judge. It gives us God's judgment, his wisdom that we can hear and be persuaded of and let that wisdom be adopted as our own. The carnal mind is busy judging each thing, each person that it comes in contact with. What makes the carnal mind want to judge? What do I think it gives me in judging people according to what I think? The carnal mind cannot trust God for God's judgments. 
And that's why it tries to judge for itself. We look at each situation that we come in contact with and we judge it, good or bad. Many of those judgments that we have come from when we were children. For instance, if you had parents that told you, God's watching you, he sees all the bad things you do, he's going to punish you, he's mad at you, what do you think you're going to think about God? Even as you get older, those judgments will have to be removed out of your heart by God's judgments. What if you grew up with parents that said, God loves you all the time. God loves you no matter what you do. God understands everything you're going through. It'll make it much easier to go to God because your judgment about God is the truth. Judgments affect our everyday lives. They happen so quickly just as we blink our eyes. We don't realize what's going on. The judgment is made with or without knowledge, but it's made. Why does this happen? Because we're the God kind and our hearts operate like God. God's heart operates by judgment. His heart operates by his belief, by the faith, by what he thinks. Our hearts operate in the same way. But in God's case, all of the judgments are truth. God has a judgment about what he sees, about people, and about circumstances. What does God see when he looks at people? Does he look at their hair? Does he look at how they're dressed? Does he even look at their behavior to form a judgment? No, he does not. He looks at what he has done. He looks at what he has created. And he told us his judgment in Genesis. He said, we were very good. That was God's judgment. Each day of creation after he created, he said, it is good. But when he made man, he said, it is very good. Those are the kind of judgments that are just weaved throughout the Bible that God wants us to take on as our own. There are many areas that we could talk about concerning God's judgment. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about a very specific area, and God has really been speaking to me about this for a while. And I kept saying, it just feels like every time I preach, I'm preaching on the same thing. But, you know, God knows what he's doing. He knows what we need, and he knows that our hearts need to hear something more than once. So before I get into the main part of my sermon, the first thing I want to say is God judges you. He judges you. He knows about you. He knows everything about you. And when he looks at you, he is full of adoration. He thinks you are the neatest thing that's ever been created because you know what? You are. You are one of a kind. There is no other just like you. And when God made you, he did it intentionally. He did it because he wanted someone that could fill his heart with love. And so he made you. The specific area that I want to talk about 
is tribulation. And I know you probably have already had a thought <laughs> and you've already made a judgment about that word and you might have already had some feelings when I just said that word because that's how it happens so effortlessly. What is our reaction to tribulation? What are the beliefs in our heart about tribulation before we even encounter them? If you have a negative view or a negative judgment about God, these are the kind of things that will rise up in your heart when you encounter tribulation. God is mad at me. What did I do wrong? Why did God let that happen? Where are you, God? We have all experienced those voices that try to come at us. And that's why it's so important to let God form the judgments in our heart because his judgments will protect us from those things. But if you have a good and a true opinion of God or a good judgment, you would react totally opposite during tribulations. It would be more like, thank you, God, for being with me. Thank you that I'm not in this thing alone. Thank you for strengthening me and getting me through this. Thank you that you're going to work it for my good. Thank you that you're going to work it for my good. As you can see, this process of judging has a tremendous effect on our lives, our attitudes, and our outlook on life. It causes a person to either see the cup half full or half empty or overflowing no matter what the circumstances. What if our judgment is that the tribulation we are facing is not really the problem? That's one to think on. I'm going to say it again. What if our judgment is that the tribulation we are facing is not really the problem? What? How can the tribulation not be the problem? It's the thing we hate. It's the thing we try to avoid. It's the thing that we try to run away from in our own strength many times. What if we believe that the real problem is what we believe about the tribulation? What if that's the real problem? What if we believe that God has already conquered the tribulation we're facing? What if we think the problems in this world and the things that we face here are only temporary and they don't have the power to take our life? If we judge that a problem or a tribulation has the power to take life from us, then we'll find ourselves in a not so good spot. We'll be fighting against the tribulation all the time, trying to remove it from our lives, toiling and laboring in our own strength to make it stop. If we believe that a tribulation means that we lack some good thing we need for life, that judgment is false. That's one of those things that God has to persuade our hearts about over and over and over. A tribulation does not mean that you lack. 
It just means that you're judging the situation wrongly. <clears throat> and what happens when we believe we lack? We know what happens. We're going to try to relieve things in our life in our own strength. We're going to try to give ourselves life, but not in the way that gives life, but in the way that gives death. Many people know that I've been getting treated for cancer. Now, most people would say that's a cause for fear or anxiety or depression or another word, a great big old word that just takes it all in is lack. I would say that in the world, that is the usual judgment. It would be common in the world to see your cup half empty, not half full. It would be easy for the carnal mind to think that, wow, you really lack, instead of overflowing in abundance. It would be easy for me to see lack, except I have God's judgment about the circumstances. I have God's judgment about that situ situation. At first, my response was not that good. My first response was that I did lack, and it came with many feelings, none that were encouraging. But the good news is there is another judgment. It has already been made. For I read in Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That word want in Hebrew means lack. This word says, I can't lack when the Lord is my shepherd. So what does that mean? Here's another judgment in the Bible. Remember I said that the Bible gives us God's judgment? That is God's judgment. It doesn't matter what people's judgment is. It doesn't matter what doctor's judgment is. All that matters is God's judgment. When we can have God's judgment, he removes the lie, and it is a lie, of lack. No matter what our circumstances are, when we have God, we do not lack. <clears throat> I see that there's another option in my life. There is another judgment. It's already been made. It's the product of the cross and the resurrection. It has the power to see God and people and tribulation in a different way. It has the power to conquer the world's wisdom and man's carnal judgment. It has the power to see the truth. It's the word of God. It is Jesus. It's what Jesus revealed to us when he was on the cross and in the resurrection. It's God's judgment. At first glance, it looks like a bad diagnosis is bad, doesn't it? Death is clearly judged as God's enemy. It is also judged a conquered foe. What does that mean? God has already beaten death. Jesus' body died away, death at the cross, never to experience death again. Death has already been defeated. That is God's judgment. God's judgment comes in and it removes the fear. It removes the sting of death when it tries to come at us. There are times when death does come at us 
and it slaps us upside the head, and we might feel for a time that it's winning. But then there's the true judgment that comes, and it speaks to us. It doesn't just speak to us once. It speaks to us again and again and again. If you are persuaded by God's judgment in 10 times of him telling you, that's great. It might take a hundred. It might take a thousand. It might take a million. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't get wearied. And he never judges our um, resistance to receiving his judgment as a rejection of him. He just understands the lies that have been planted in our heart, and he wants to help us through it. God's judgment says death has already lost. Death is going to pass away, but you will not. You are eternal, and death is temporary. It's easy to say you're blessed and all is well when all is going well. But what about when things aren't going so well for you in this world? There is another word that has already been spoken. There is another judgment that has already been made and declared. God has judged. His judgments have the power to override and conquer the carnal mind. Yes, his judgments do have the power to do that. So here's a little quiz for you all. How many of you in this room think that God ever killed anybody? Now let me ask you this question. How many of you thought God had killed someone before you started coming to this church? Mm, what a difference. What made you change your mind? It wasn't you, was it? No. God's judgment came. And you have been hearing God's judgment week after week after week for years. And he proved to you that your judgment, your original judgment, was wrong. God's word came and conquered your false belief and replaced it with his judgment. You probably had to hear it over and over and over again. First time you heard it, you probably said, what? I know about, and I know about, and what about this? You had to hear God's word preached. You had to hear about Noah and the flood and what really went on. You had to hear about Sodom and Gomorrah and what really happened there. God has a judgment. It's a righteous judgment. It is true. It is the faith that he lives by. His faith is active. It is active in us. It's his word, and it comes to do a work in our hearts. Let's listen to this uh, judgment about God's word from God. Jeremiah 23, 29. This is the amplified version. Is not my word like fire? that consumes all that cannot endure the test, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks in pieces the rock of most stubborn resistance. That's God's word. That's the power, the tenacity, the ability to come and remove those false judgments that we've believed maybe all of our life. 
His word has the power to come and do it. Jesus is the word. He's the word that brings truth. It breaks up the most resistant, stubborn rocks, the most stubborn beliefs that we might have. God's judgment is the power of wisdom, the life and the image of God that gives us life, everlasting life. Proverbs 4, 5 says, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Where are we going to get this wisdom and this understanding? From God's word, not from our much thinking, not from our evaluating. I remember the days, oh my gosh, I am very analytical. And I remember the days of a piece of paper with a line drawn down the middle, pros and cons. <laughs> That's how I made my decisions. That's how I knew my judgments were correct. Because you see, I had analyzed everything. That doesn't work. There are things on the pros and cons list that we don't even see. Only God sees. And so the way to make the decisions and to move forward in this world when things are coming at us is to hear God's judgment. Don't wait until you're in a tribulation to start talking to God about his judgments. You know, we can go into a tribulation and already be established because we've already heard what God said about it. I can remember after Hurricane Katrina, we went through a, a really difficult time. Although when I look back, it doesn't seem difficult at all. But at the time, it really looked like it because I was judging by my judgments instead of by what God saw. But our minds were always filled with our house and building the house and getting it put back together and moving back into it as quick as possible. And that was bringing us a lot of torment and it wasn't working. So one day, we just, Larry and I decided we were going to just take the time out and we were going to go hear what God had to say. We were sure that God was going to tell us who to get to work on our house, who was the right contractor, because for sure what we had, what we had was not working. You know, the only thing God said to us about a house was, was one man's soul worth more than a house? He took our judgment of the importance of a house from up here to way down low. And in five seconds time, we cared more about the men that were robbing us blind, <laughs> working on our house, than we cared about our house. How does God do that? His word is so powerful. It's like a fire that consumes whatever does not meet his test. It's like a hammer that beats into pieces the most stubborn resistance. We went on that trip focused on our house, and we came back not even thinking about our house. And you could say, well, then what happened to your house? We went from fear and much anger, much unrighteous judgment towards all these poor people, to joy and excitement 
And when these men would come to our house to work on our house that had robbed us, we had food for them. We were giving them drinks. We were helping because all of a sudden we had in our heart what God had in his heart for them. He wasn't looking at their crooks and they're robbing you. He was looking at they don't know me. They don't have eternal life. Share with them who I am. Oh, it was so much fun. It was so easy. And we didn't worry about our house after that. We saw people find Jesus. We saw people's lives turned around. We saw people bringing their Bibles with them when they came to our house to work. It was a glorious experience only because of one reason. We had God's judgment. That was a little bit of a tough tribulation. You know, we were out of our house for over a year and a half. It was a wreck. We could see clear from one end to the other. All we had for a floor was concrete. We couldn't live in it. And yet God's judgment made it so that that wasn't important. What are the tribulations in your life? Can God's judgment come and take your tribulations from up there to way down to nothing? Yes, he surely can. What about the tribulations that are on the way? The ones that are going to maybe take you by surprise. Will God be surprised? No, God knew it before the beginning of time. He's not surprised. More importantly, he has the answer. He has the solution. He has the judgment so that you don't have to let that tribulation whip you back and forth, up, down, and sideways, and every which way. He wants us to be able to ride that wave and just listen to what he says over and over again sometimes and let his judgment give you peace that this world cannot give you. <clears throat> I'm going to give another quick example from our lives. In this um, instance, I didn't listen to God's judgment. And so I had the joy of living by my own reasoning. And it was not pretty. And it was not pretty for a long time. And there's a chance that I'm still even suffering because of it. So after Larry retired, he always wanted to help me in the kitchen. I would not usually, I put usually in my notes, I always took offense. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest here. Especially if he would suggest to me that I use a different knife for what I was cutting. This was what my judgment was. Now remember, these things happen effortlessly. You don't think about it. You don't say, ah, what do I think about this? No, it just comes. He thinks I don't know how to use a knife. I'm in my 40s, y'all. Doesn't he know I've been cutting vegetables for the last 45 years? He thinks he can cook better than me. Watch the progression here. He thinks he is smarter than I am. Isn't it amazing how quickly, not just one judgment, 
but boom, 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 boom. And each one tends to get worse. Now, how do you think the relationship between Larry and I was during this time? Woof. What was really going on in Larry's heart? He wanted to enjoy retirement with me. He wanted to help me in the kitchen. He wanted to come alongside of me and do things with me. He was also concerned and didn't want me to cut myself. All of his judgments were good or, let me say this, godly, pure heart. All of my judgments came from the carnal mind and from death. Where did that judgment come from? It didn't come from Larry. It didn't come from God. I'll tell you where it came from. As a child, I was brought up to believe that I lacked and I was inferior and I was inadequate. And even though I was a grown woman, all of those things were still deep in my heart. If I would have just gone to God, he would have shown me that. I mean, he did show me eventually, that's why I can say it. But for years, I had the wrong judgment. And it tried to not only hurt Larry's time and my time with him in the kitchen, it tried to bring harm to our relationship all the time. We could have had a whole lot more fun if I would have just gone to God and asked him what his judgment was. The Bible uses the word tribulation. That word means pressure, affliction, anguish, burdened, persecution, or trouble. Each of us has our own belief about tribulation, but I dare say almost none of us like it. Many of us try to run from it as fast as we can. Many of us do everything we can to prevent it from ever coming at us. Well, I have good news. God has already made a judgment about tribulation. And his judgment is righteous. And his judgment can help us. We're going to look for the rest of the time at what God says about tribulation. We're going to look at it from the Bible, from his word, that can come and bring a fire to everything in our hearts that disagrees with it. John 16, 33. Jesus was preparing his disciples for the future when he was going to be arrested and crucified and buried. Now, did you notice Jesus already knew what was coming? <laughs> Jesus already knew what was coming. Not only did he know what was coming, he already had God's judgment about it in his heart. That's how he was able to go through it. That's a huge tribulation. So that's a, a good one to look at. This is what Jesus tells his disciples. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So Jesus says he's already overcome the world. He's already overcome what 
whatever the world can throw at us. And his response is, we can be of good cheer. That means to have courage, to have comfort and boldness. <clears throat> I find it really amazing that the word for good cheer is the exact same word used when Jesus told the man sick with palsy to be of good cheer because his sins had been forgiven. That is good cheer to know your sins have been forgiven. But Jesus uses the same word that you can have the same kind of cheer in tribulation that the man had when he knew his sins were forgiven. How can that be? It means God's judgment is very, very powerful. Just as his ability to forgive sins, his ability to judge our tribulations and give us his judgment so that we'll see those tribulations just as he does. In Romans 8, 28, Paul said that we can know that all things work together for good to them that love God. God does not cause tribulation, but he can bring great good out of it, just like he did after Hurricane Katrina. God wasn't worried about our house. Well, he wasn't worried about anything because he doesn't have a worried judgment. See what I mean? How easy it comes out? But man, he catches it. He made it so that the workers that were working on our house that came to our house with the intent to steal, because they did steal, to not do the work, but to take the money. They came with no good intentions. And yet God's judgment was, oh, I love them. I love them so much. They're just doing those things because they think they have to give themselves life. They need me. Not one unrighteous judgment. So God brings great good out of difficult times. Look at when Jesus was arrested and crucified and buried. His disciples were scattered. They were afraid. They were in despair. They felt like their life was over. It didn't look like anything good was happening, right? But that wasn't true. Even though the disciples judged that life was over, God had a judgment. God saw that life was just beginning. Eternal life, that is. Eternal life for mankind. The cross and the resurrection was the best thing God ever gave to mankind. And yet man judged it as a terrible, horrible thing or tribulation. The disciples didn't understand until later. And many times that's how it is with us. When we look back on tribulations, we can say, oh, God was right. I didn't have to worry. I didn't, you know, no, 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 no. But we can get it during the tribulation and we can get it before we go into the tribulation. Have God's judgments. God saw the good that was gonna come out of the cross while man only saw the problems. I want to read some of God's judgments while Jesus was hanging on the cross. Um, I'm going to read from 
the second book in Revealing Abba in the Psalms. It's written by John Fazio. It has affected our judgments so much. When you hear what God's judgments are and what he's pouring into Jesus while Jesus is on the cross, it'll change your life. So this is Psalm 72. <clears throat> Jesus is talking. Oh, Abba, my God and my King, you have given me your judgments. Mm. Revealing your life and immortality in and through me, your son. That was the judgment God had while Jesus was on the cross. I'm giving you life and I'm giving you immortality. There was no other way for that to happen. Not for Jesus and not for man. And God saw that. Declaring your justice for all people by the life revealed in me, in immortal flesh in my resurrection, and to those who see they have no ability to clothe themselves with life. God was talking to Jesus about us. Did you hear that? <laughs> We're the ones that see we don't have the ability to clothe ourselves with life. So God was talking to Jesus about us. Your judgment to give them the kingdom as a gift. That was a judgment by God. He didn't want us to work for salvation. He wanted us to have it as a free gift. Those judgments were so powerful that they enabled Jesus to stay on that cross and rest in the Father's ability to take him out of the grave, to give him life, to give him immortality, and to free him from death forever. Pretty good judgments, I would say. Pretty powerful. I don't, well, I mean, I don't know what's coming. Chances are we aren't going to all be crucified. But isn't it good to know that God's judgments were strong enough to see a man go through that and rest? It says that Jesus rested. He rested on the cross in the Father's love, in the Father's judgments. Okay, here's another one. We've all experienced this. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. For, that could be replaced by the word because, he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. We need that judgment coursing through our hearts when we encounter tribulation to let the power of God's presence fill us up. I know many times as I've looked back on tribulations, those are the most precious times I had 
because I could feel God and I could feel his presence so much more real. Why? Probably because I was pouring my heart out to him and asking him. So here's the doozy of God's judgments in tribulation. It's the thing, they all work together, they all help us. Um, maybe it's that this is the hardest one for the carnal mind to grab a hold of. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, when Paul judged, Paul judged that his tribulations needed to stop, he cried out to God three times to set him free from them. And God said to Paul, God didn't have the same judgment. God didn't say, I agree with you, Paul. That's it. It's stopping. That's not what happened. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So God had a judgment. God knew the power of his grace already. God wasn't surprised with the tribulations that Paul had. He knew. He knew before Paul was ever born what he was going to encounter. But he said his grace was sufficient. Is God's grace sufficient for you when you're in tribulation? Is there any doubt? Yeah, probably is. That's okay. That's why we go to God and we let him persuade us of his judgment. And we let him show us where our judgments are falling short and mistaken. Paul goes on, if that wasn't enough, Paul goes on to say, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul was no longer afraid of the things that were coming against him because he realized that when he was going through those hard times and God's grace was with him, the power of Jesus rested upon him. Amazing. He goes on. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Did you hear that? Paul took pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For he realized when he was weak, he was really strong. Not in his own self-effort, but he had God's strength. Look at God's judgment over Paul's tribulations. Were Paul's tribulations light? No. Paul was beaten. He was thrown in jail. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. All the places that he went to preach the gospel, to bless mankind, they returned it with hate. So he had some pretty severe tribulations. But God's judgment was, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. You can glory in your infirmities because my power will rest on you. You can have pleasure in your infirmities 
And Paul began to agree with God's judgment about the tribulations that he encountered. At some point, he calls it a very light affliction because God had brought it down to what God judged it to be. And then in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, Paul says again, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort, and I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulations. Paul was exceedingly joyful. That word exceeding, so we don't misunderstand what God's saying there, it means to superabound, to superabound in quantity or quality, to be in excess. How does God move us from the focus that we have on pain and tribulation to experiencing exceeding joy? He does it with his word. He does it with his judgment. His word comes and it burns up the wrong judgments that we have and replaces it with the truth. Many years ago, God gave me a, a mathematical equation and it was pain equals joy squared. Pain squared equals joy to the fourth. Pain to the fourth equals joy to the eighth. And I said, God, what are you trying to tell me? No matter what you go through, my power, my grace, my judgment, and my ability far exceeds it. It wasn't that it was equal. It was that what he had is so much greater. His joy is greater. I can't express what it meant to us when those guys working on our houses started bringing Bibles and asking us more about Jesus and getting saved. That meant so much more to us than our house. But why? Why was that? Because we got God's judgment in our heart. It wasn't our judgment initially, not at all. We cared about the things in the world. There's also an amazing thing that happens in our hearts when we're, we go through tribulations, not because of us, but because of who God is. And God explains it in Romans 5, 3. We glory in tribulations also. There we go, glorying again in tribulations. Because they knew that tribulations worked patience and patience experience and experience hope a hope that makes you not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So when they were encountering tribulations, when tribulations were coming at them, they saw the life of God come and reach into them and fill them up with patience, with love, with hope. So we're going to talk a little bit about this patience <laughs> because, you know, I can be very carnal, as I've explained earlier. 
And when I'm in the carnal mindset, I don't want to be patient in tribulation. I don't want tribulation. I'm like, Paul, God, get this out of my life. But patience in tribulation produces the fruit of God. It produces the ability to not see things on a worldly level. You begin to see things above. You begin to see things in a heavenly perspective, which is God's judgment. So in Romans 12, 12, Paul says, rejoicing in hope and patient in tribulation. That word patient means to persevere, to stay, abide, endure, remain. Our carnal minds tend to run from discomfort of all kinds. God's life brings us comfort in discomfort so that we can stay. Not only can we stay, but we can rest. You know, sometimes you can't get out of uh, um, a tribulation physically. But this is much bigger than just physically. This is talking about peace in our mind and peace in our heart. The ability to be so connected with God that you can rest and be at peace in tribulation. Why do we have such a hard time accepting this frame of mind? I think one of the reasons is because the carnal mind believes it only can have a good life when things are going well in this world. Is it possible that the American dream has become a stumbling block for us to experiencing the fullness of God's life? Is it possible that the very thing we are desiring, which is trying to get life from this world, is the very thing that's holding us back? Is it possible the way that seems right to us really leads to death? and away from the life that we truly desire, away from the judgment that our hearts really need. There is a life. There is a way of life. It is the life. It's found in the faith of the Son of God. It has already judged a righteous judgment. It has a righteous judgment for people, for God, for things, for circumstances, beliefs, and tribulation. God's judgment sees everything correctly. He makes it so that we can have peace. He doesn't ever want us to be afraid. He doesn't want us to be afraid of tribulation. He wants us to know that he's there so much that we can rest in it and know that he's overcome it. He's already taken care of it. Can we allow God to turn our beliefs upside down when that's what we need? So that we can see and judge things the same way he does? So we can live and move and have our being in his faith and in his judgments. It's what our hearts truly desire. 
The work is not ours. We are not our own workmanship. We are God's workmanship. It is his work, not ours. He desires to fill us with his life. He desires to dance with each one of you in that in his embrace and truth, you will begin to see what he sees. You will begin to think what he thinks and you'll move as one with him. The creator, the one true God says, can I have this dance? Father, we thank you that you want to dance with us. You want to hold us in your embrace and fill us with your judgments. You want to show us what you judge about the people in our lives, about yourself, about ourselves. But mostly what this message is about is tribulation. We need your judgments in tribulation. We want to dance with you and enjoy those judgments that you give us so that we can be at peace and rest and even have joy no matter what comes at us and see it the way you do. Thank you, Father, that it is your work, the work of your judgment and your word. Amen.